If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Story time. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. We are a new show breaking down the anime news, views, and shows you care about each and every week. I can't think of a better studio to yeah. bring something like this to life. And yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to pretend <laughs> that I don't right Hold now. it in, hold on. And our current faves. And Luffy must have his due. <laughs> Tune in every week for the latest anime updates and possibly a few debates. Oof. I remember, what was that? (laughs) Say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. You can listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. 
Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. My home away from home is the woods. Specifically, it's the woods of Mission Teja State Park, 21 miles northeast of Crockett, Texas. I work as a park ranger, taking church groups and school trips through the forest, showing them the woods I so dearly love. I also show them relics from the local Caddo Indians that used to live there, as well as pioneers who settled a couple of miles away at the Rice House. Back home, I have a wife who is retired, and my best friends. I love my wife and friends, but the park is like that friend you never really talk to but you get to know and enjoy their company. I am at peace with the local wildlife, which I have known all my life. On breaks, I drive a couple of feet off the trail, find a stump, and sit down. I am at peace in the forest. I love my job, and I make damn sure that everyone else will too. My fantastic stories of Caddo hunts and local legends are loved by all. I make sure that everyone at least knows about what happened. One day, I am taking a group of school kids out on a walk. I talk about the deer, the birds, and the pines that seem to stretch up for miles. I am leading the group up a steep hill when suddenly, I become dizzy and short of breath. I think of this as merely the result of my aging body. Then, I begin feeling pressure in my chest. A small alarm is ringing in my head. But then I blame the bean-eating competition I had the night before with my wife and friends at the local Mexican restaurant. It is only when my left arm begins to feel as though a thousand volts of electricity had pumped into it that I begin to have concern. I know exactly what is happening, a heart attack. Before I can cry for help, though, I collapse. I come to moments later, dazed and confused. I get up and catch movement out of the corner of my eye. The curious ex-Vietnam vet stumbles, then walks up the hill, as if nothing is wrong. At the top of the hill is a group of people dressed like the local Caddo Indians. They seem to have been led by a young woman holding a baby. They seem to be dressed right, but something just doesn't feel right. Who are you? I ask. Nothing. Can anyone answer me? No response. Well, look. It's been a nice conversation we've had here, but I need to get back. Thank you, says the woman. What? I stammer out, dumbfounded. You are the man who has told our story when no one else would. For that, we thank you. From behind the woman, a small army has amassed. Indians, settlers, ranchers, soldiers, anyone who had lived and died on the park's land. 
Finally regaining my composure, I reply, well, y'all are more than welcome. Now if you excuse me, I need to do my job. The Caddo woman gives me a sad smile, saying, I'm afraid you can't do that anymore, John. You're going to be here now. Confused, I turn around. At the bottom of the hill is chaos. My crumpled body lies still in the cool, moist clay. Meanwhile, some parents are performing CPR on my vacant body, while others try to get help, and still others are trying to comfort the kids. Some of the kids are crying, while others are sitting, trying to wrap their young minds over what had just happened. Some of the bigger, more curious ones are trying to poke my body with sticks and fingers, trying to see if I would move and somehow, some way, jump back to life. Everyone has their own ideas on what to do, but panic, then desperation, then realization set in, one after the other. I am dead, and nothing can be done. I watch all of this from the top of the hill, my spirit's presence unbeknownst to the others. Rangers swarm onto the scene, put a blanket over my body, place it into the back of a jeep, and drive off. Suddenly, Mexican food doesn't taste as good as I remembered it before. My family and I went for a picnic to Blue Mountain Park. We took our Doberman Pinscher with us. Our three girls were swimming in the creek, and we kept hearing noises down the creek bed. It sounded like someone was making a lot of noise. We didn't think anything of it, assuming it was other people picnicking as well. When all of a sudden, our dog began to pull on his leash and growl. Our daughters and we heard a loud splash in the area down the creek. It sounded like a huge boulder was thrown into the water, making us uneasy. We decided to go ahead and eat our sandwiches. Since our dog calmed down, we let him off his leash, and he was running around the park, but he never left our sight. After we ate, my husband called him, but our dog just stood at the tree line and wouldn't come back. My husband told my youngest daughter to go get him because we were getting ready to leave. My daughter went over to get him, and when she grabbed him under his collar, she noticed he was growling again. She was pulling him away when she heard a growl come from the forest. She thought it was a bear because of its deep growl. She told my husband she thought she heard a bear in the woods, and my husband said, let's go. So we loaded up and started out to the main road. There was an old logging road that had been closed off with wood poles in the ground, and this old logging road crossed the park road. Our daughters and our dog were riding in the back of our pickup. As we were coming out of the park, they were looking back at where we came from. I turned around as we approached the logging road, and I saw a Bigfoot creature. It frightened me because my kids were in the back of the truck unprotected. We left the park about two miles down the road. I had my husband pull over, and I told him what I had seen. The Bigfoot was approximately six feet tall, about maybe 450 pounds, very human looking, reddish-brown hair all over his body. His face was very human. He had deep-set eyes. His arms hung below his knees, and he casually looked up at us but kept walking toward us. He didn't seem to be afraid of us or even curious about us. It was as if he could have cared less. My children did not see it, nor did my husband. My husband wanted to go back, but I was too upset and afraid, so we went on home.
I watched a herd of elk, including a five-point bull, for three days as they fed at dusk along the tree line across the canyon, 600 yards away. On the fourth day, which was the day before the opening day, there was not a sound. No birds, insects, coyotes, pumas, bears, nothing. Suddenly, out of the tree line, walks a large ape-like creature taking enormous strides quite casually across a huge clearing in the trees, diagonally down the canyon side. Quite astonished, after watching the creature through my scope and binoculars for three to four minutes, I turned and ran up from the opposite canyon side. A friend and I went camping on an old logging trail 30 miles in of Prineville, Oregon. We drove up a very steep trail used by logging trucks and finally camped next to a beautiful natural spring. My friend was a bow hunter and had camped in that spot many times before. We pitched our tent, made a campfire and retired into the tent around 10 p.m. as we had a long day. At around 2 a.m. we were startled awake by ear-piercing sounds that seemed to surround our tent. We literally had to scream at each other to be heard. My friend thought perhaps there might be bikers playing a prank on us but neither he or I had ever heard that incredible high-pitched screaming before. He told me to get in the jeep and turn on the headlights as the campfire was almost out by that time and it was pitch black under the trees. As soon as I turned on the headlights, directly in front of the road, about 15 feet from us, stood three Bigfoot creatures. They were just standing there and seemed to be communicating in some fashion as one would scream and the others would respond. There was also screaming coming from behind us but we did not see the creatures or know how many were there because there was no light other than the headlights. There was also the most hideous odor emanating from the creatures. It was simply a foul stench. My friend is 6 foot 7 inches and weighs about 240 pounds. The creatures made him look like a midget. He screamed at me to drive the jeep down the logging trail but there was absolutely no way I could drive on that road in the dark, as there were some really sheer drop-offs. I jumped out of the jeep and he and I stood back to back against a tree with our guns cocked and knees shaking and waited to see what the creatures would do. We heard more screaming behind us but I have no idea how many more there were as we could only see the ones in the lights. We watched the three and after about 10 minutes they started walking backwards up the hill, never taking their eyes off us and finally were out of our line of sight. They continued their ear-piercing screaming until they were well over the mountain ridge. We remained in our back-to-back -back position until first light, packed up and scrambled down the mountain. Our theory was that we were camped on top of their favorite watering hole, thus their intense displeasure with us. We stopped at the ranger station and walked in and told our story to the ranger behind the desk. He simply stated that he knew they were up on that mountain and asked us what we wanted him to do about it. Well, that took the wind out of our very frazzled sails and we went home. I have only told a handful of people about the incident and instantly became the object of ridicule and jokes. My background is that I am now a 50-something-year-old female retired deputy from Multnomah County. My friend was an engineer working for Tektronix at the time. Neither of us has any drug or alcohol issues and are certifiably sane. I am writing this now, as I am so deeply disappointed in the latest hoax from Georgia.
I was so hoping to finally prove to my family that they really do exist. Sigh, oh well, maybe next time. Keep searching as they are out there. A friend and I went camping on an old logging trail 30 miles north of Prineville, Oregon. We drove up a very steep trail used by logging trucks and finally camped next to a beautiful natural spring. My friend, a bow hunter, had camped in that spot many times before. We pitched our tent, made a campfire, and retired into the tent around 10 p.m. after a long day. At around 2 a.m., we were startled awake by ear-piercing sounds that seemed to surround our tent. We literally had to scream at each other to be heard. My friend thought perhaps there might be bikers playing a prank on us, but neither he nor I had ever heard that incredible high-pitched screaming before. He told me to get in the jeep and turn on the headlights as the campfire was almost out by that time, and it was pitch black under the trees. As soon as I turned on the headlights, directly in front of the road, about 15 feet from us, stood three Bigfoot creatures. They were just standing there and seemed to be communicating in some fashion, as one would scream and the others would respond. There was also screaming coming from behind us, but we did not see the creatures or know how many were there because there was no light other than the headlights. There was also the most hideous odor emanating from the creatures. It was simply a foul stench. My friend is 6 foot 7 inches and weighs about 240 pounds. The creatures made him look like a midget. He screamed at me to drive the jeep down the logging trail, but there was absolutely no way I could drive on that road in the dark, as there were some really sheer drop-offs. I jumped out of the jeep, and he and I stood back to back against a tree with our guns cocked and knees shaking and waited to see what the creatures would do. We heard more screaming behind us, but I have no idea how many more there were as we could only see the ones in the lights. We watched the three, and after about 10 minutes, they started walking backward up the hill, never taking their eyes off us and finally were out of our line of sight. They continued their ear-piercing screaming until they were well over the mountain ridge. We remained in our back-to-back -back position until first light, packed up, and scrambled down the mountain. Our theory was that we were camped on top of their favorite watering hole, thus their intense displeasure with us. We stopped at the ranger station and walked in and told our story to the ranger behind the desk. He simply stated that he knew they were up on that mountain and asked us what we wanted him to do about it. Well, that took the wind out of our very frazzled sails, and we went home. I have only told a handful of people about the incident and instantly became the object of ridicule and jokes. My background is that I am now a 50-something-year-old female retired deputy from Multnomah County. My friend was an engineer working for Tektronix at the time. Neither of us has any drug or alcohol issues and is certifiably sane. I am writing this now, as I am so deeply disappointed in the latest hoax from Georgia. I was so hoping to finally prove to my family that they really do exist. Sigh, oh well, maybe next time. Keep searching, as they are out there. I want to tell you a story that happened to me back in 1985. Basically what happened was, it was Christmas Eve and my brother was in town. We were staying out at my folks house out by the lake. He and I both had a cot in the dining room. 
My mom had put out a couple of cots. Everybody was in bed. I was watching TV and my brother had gone to bed. So I turned the TV off. My brother was on the dining room table. I noticed he was meditating. He was sitting cross-legged. That's weird, I thought that's kinda nutty looking. I didn't really get that stuff so I kinda snickered. I went to the bathroom, then came back out and got into the cot and laid down. I was trying to be quiet because I didn't want to disturb him, you know. As soon as I laid down. As soon as my head hit the pillow actually, I was paralyzed. I couldn't move and I just started freaking out. I could only move my eyes. Nuri asks if he was awake, absolutely. Fully awake. I mean this happened the second I got in bed. It was frightening. So I'm trying to look at him. I'm somehow thinking that he's causing this. I don't know. It's very confusing. But the fear was incredible. I started yelling at him. Stop, you know. And I was screaming at him and he wasn't moving and I realized he couldn't hear me. This is where it gets completely insane. So, I'm like covered in sweat. I'm freaking out. I don't know what's going on. I never heard of sleep paralysis or any of this freaky stuff. I look at the foot of the cot and there's this. And this is completely true. There's this lizard guy standing there with his arms folded and he's just laughing at me and I'm like what the? Nuri asked if he looked like a ghost, no. No. He was solid and he had like a vest on and he had like a holster on. And I was angry and I was like freaking out. I couldn't move and I obviously knew he was causing this and he was just laughing at me. And it had like an ant or like a turtle on its back and then he just disappeared. Nuri asks if the paralysis went away, instantly. I'm a 32-year-old father of five. I live in southwest Washington state not far from Mount St. Helens. My number one passion is hunting big old smart blacktails. I also bow hunt elk, as well as rifle hunt predators. Unfortunately, we can no longer run dogs, however, I have experience with dogs. For a few short years, I was a big game hunting guide in northern Idaho. After close to 25 years in the woods, I saw something that has left me stressing every time I have to hike in the dark, going in or coming out of the mountains. It was rifle deer season and I was hunting a massive buck that I'd seen the previous years. The buck lives in the middle of nowhere. The logging road is a 30-minute trip. I was slowly pushing my mountain bike with my left hand and holding my 270 with my right and as I turned my head from looking off to my right I looked straight down the trail at the point where the game trail intersects. I saw a 7-8 to eight foot tall massive statured being, black in color, walking in a steady stride across the trail looking at me the entire time. The one detail that stands out the most, more than its size, color, or even the threat level was how long its arms were. They are well below the knees with a significant constant swaying motion with each step. I froze in awe and shock at what I had just seen. However, I wasn't scared to leave. To be honest it was like my brain couldn't really comprehend what I had just seen. So I started telling myself anything to explain it away, oh, it's just a bear. Maybe it was a real wet deer elk. It could have been a hunter in dark clothing without orange on. 
I finally felt assured it was something else other than what I had just seen and continued on. I walked up to the point where this being crossed the trail thinking I would see a deer or a bear track to explain it away. However, there are no tracks. The ground was a hard orange brown clay. However, it was raining and surely if anything on the hoof or anything with claws walked there it would have left a track. I looked and looked and found nothing as far as tracks. The sighting lasted just seconds, however, it was long enough for me to tell that there was no way it was a bear, elk, human, cat, or deer. I've seen some things in nature that most people simply would not believe, but I've never seen anything like what I saw that day. The more replay it in my mind I am convinced I saw a Bigfoot. I feel very awkward even typing this. I've only told three people what I saw that day. Two are my friends and hunting partners and one is an uncle who I have looked up to and inspired me to hunt since I was a kid. All three of them literally laughed and gawked at me and told me how there was no proof, no game trail videos, no bones, and no bodies. So I've never brought it up with anyone since, not even my wife or children. It is very reassuring when someone speaks truth to power on this subject. I used to be an amateur wildlife photographer. You haven't seen my work, but it was good. Not National Geographic good, but close. In fact, for a while, it took over my whole life. I used to pray that one day, through my shrewd artistic insight, I would capture the visceral truth behind it all. A portfolio so mind-blowing it might remind us, if only for a fleeting second, that it all boils down the ceaseless battle against death. Not taxes or mortgages or Instagram followers. The fight to overcome our environment. Now that dream has died, and I can't bring myself to lift a camera. The fact that my passion died on the vine may lead you to ask, how could something as cathartic as wildlife photography be ruined? You'll see. In the fall of 2016, I had mustered the courage to quit my day job and pursue my dream of living and working in the wilderness full-time. I was nervous, filled with doubt, and jittery. What if I failed? I thought. What did I have that more experienced photographer didn't? And so on and so forth as I worked myself into a panic in the landscape of the Grand Tetons, then Yellowstone filled my windshield. I tried to stop my manic thoughts by swinging through the local grocery store and grabbing a case of beer to bring to the campsite. It didn't work. When I got there, I compulsively flipped through the portfolios of some of my favorite photographers. That only made things worse as the thoughts of self-doubt returned. I can't compete with this. Who am I kidding? This was an ongoing struggle in my life. I would set my sights on a goal only to be consumed with doubt and quit. I was my worst enemy, and this idea, wildlife photography, was my most recent deluded attempt at success. And so, in typical fashion, I continued wallowing in pathetic self-doubt like that for a while before finally finding some resolve. I realized I couldn't be a failure this time. Not after talking about this dream for months in front of friends. The embarrassment of returning to my parents' basement as a failure would be unbearable. No, I wasn't leaving even if it killed me. Which it would prove to do, in a way. The only reason I could pull this off, to convince myself I had any shot at all, 
was because a few weeks before, I had discovered the sort of opportunity that rarely presents itself to a fledgling professional. The opportunity for fame and fortune gained through a single act. And in this case, a single photo. In recent weeks, rumors had emanated from Yellowstone National Park. Tall tales of a mythically large, aggressive black bear. Some trails had been closed off, others were under review. Then there were the disappearances. A half-dozen missing persons who had yet to be recovered. Authorities couldn't find any bodies, so they weren't reported as bear attacks, but anyone who followed the park closely knew. It was him. The king in black. It was a dumb, macabre name someone had given the gigantic boar because of his track's freakish size. While it was over the top, the name stuck, and everyone was desperate to catch a glimpse. The thing was, nobody had. For one, we knew he was nocturnal, which left only a few photographers willing to brave the night to find him, and also, I think people were terrified of a man-eater. Lucky for me, while self-doubt was a crippling weakness of mine, fear of death mostly eluded me. When I learned that wildlife magazines were now offering $20,000 to the photographer that could capture an image of the brute, I was sold. Flipping through the last of the portfolios, now reaffirmed in my aspirations after once again imagining myself rolling in piles of money and success, I gathered my pack and my huge maglite, threw a few snacks into my bag, and headed for the, now closed, Kadath Trail. A long, winding, 30-mile trail that had been the site of the disappearances and the dinner plate-sized tracks. The drive was short, and a while later, I arrived at the trailhead and dropped my bag near the aging wooden sign. Eager to get started, I unpacked my bag, clipped my oversized can of bear spray to my belt, and began prepping my camera gear. For a while, I sat there fumbling over lenses, unsure which would be best for capturing the legend. As I turned a few over in my hands, light poured through the foliage in the direction of the road. Everything out there, sir? The light said. I put a hand to my brow, trying to glean some details from the silhouette behind the torch. Sure is. Can I help you with something? I let my camera hang around my neck and restrain myself from unclipping my bear spray. I thought you were fearless? Tracking a man-eater and afraid of a man? I suppose you could, he said, moving the light down toward my legs. It danced across the bag and my shoes. In the darkness, I started to piece together the shape of a ranger's hat. Trails closed. I'm here trying to capture the shot, I said, holding up the camera and trying to look as desperate as possible. Any way you could, you know, let this slide? He rested a hand on his hip and looked down toward the road as a 4x4 groaned up the hill, around the bend, and disappeared from view. He sighed. You got a plan on where you might be staying tonight? Or how long you might be heading up this trail? Not sure, yet. Just gonna take it as it comes, you know? I really wouldn't, he said. Ah. Wouldn't what? I asked. Wouldn't do this. And if I was which I definitely ain't, and you shouldn't, I'd have a plan. An itinerary. You mean itinerary, I said. At that, his lips curled, and he took a step forward. His eyes were thin, his rough skin sagging around his sunken eyes. He wore a beige ranger's shirt, ripped near the sleeve. On it, 
A thin trickle of something wet glinted in the artificial light. There was a beat of silence before he spoke. Problem is people tend to think this is a big joke. They don't realize the kind of hell a bear can bring unto the world. The power of the things, you know? It's ungodly. You think he took them? The missing people? I know he did. He paused, glancing around a second time. You know. If you end up like those other folks your family ain't getting any closure. Ain't never gonna be a funeral. How do you know that? Optics, he said. They can't let the family see what he done to M. Don't want it to hurt the yearly turnout, you understand? They're fools. Thinking he'll stop. They don't know what he really is. His speech started to grow faster as he got excited and stepped a bit closer to me. I could hear the dryness in his mouth. You see, they found some of them bodies. Not all of them. Just a few. And they just got rid of them all quiet-like, so nobody from the press catches wind. You're not press are you? No. I'm not. But why would they do that? Too graphic? Sure enough. It's a shame, too. A beast like that ought to be respected for its power. Enough power it might make you reconsider what it's all about. When you find a woman ripped clean in half like she's nothing more than a piece of overgrown creeper vine, people should see that. Then they might steer clear, I mean, for Chris's sake he's nature's harbinger of death. Take these warnings more seriously. This bear is more than a goddamn eggs eat it. As he yelled, I felt my hand on the bear spray. Something about him seemed unhinged. But, determined to keep my cool so I could continue on, I took a breath and stayed calm. You mean Exib? Never mind. Listen. Thank you for the warning, but my future depends on catching a shot of this thing. All my eggs are in one basket. There was a long pause, and I swear I heard the gears in his head clicking away. Then he chuckled adjusted his belt with one hand and turned the flashlight to his face with the other. Well, you go up that Kadath trail you're in his world. In there, he's gonna decide your future one way or another, and if you get too close to M, well. I'll be careful. I'm sure you will, son. They're all careful. I'd just be I miss if I didn't give you fair warning. Doing my duty. You know? Making sure we all stay bear aware. The last word hung in the air as the light illuminated his jack-o'-lantern face and a whimsical, toothy smile stretched across his cheeks. You have a good night. And if anybody asks? I didn't see you sneaking in here. A while later, there was the creaking sound of a truck door and a sputtering engine, and I was alone again. I should have been terrified, instead, I felt excited. The thing must be gigantic, majestic even. After sorting my bag out, I walked for a long time. Stepping through thistle and sagebrush, listening to the white noise from the wind through the pine needles, breath through the mountain valley. I loved it. The moon was full, my eyes adjusted. Now if only I could find something to shoot. But miles later, after hours of hiking the serpentine trail up the mountainside, I'd found nothing. Sore, tired, and feeling defeated, I looked for a spot to throw out my sleep sack and rest a while. Not wanting to sleep on the trail, I found a hardly treaded offshoot that led towards a rocky outcropping. There, there was a large slab of rock that formed a bit of an alcove. 
While not quite a cave, it still provided some shelter from the elements. I shined my light inside, ensuring no other critters had beat me to bed. There was nothing, only a few scattered sticks and a pile of leaves and grass. Satisfied, I unfurled my sleep sack inside and tried to drift away, but my labored breathing kept me awake. Odd, I thought. I'm not winded. Was it the wind? No. The sound was too short. It had to be breath, just not mine. Sure I was losing it, I flicked on my flashlight and slashed it like a saber across the dark forest. Is that an arm sticking out from behind that tree? No, you're just excited. Calm down. But I still heard the breath. It sounded close, and now, shaking with fear, I desperately searched for the source of the noise. Swinging wildly in the blackness, the flashlight's beam fell on the leaf pile beside me. In that moment, I saw the horrible source, the subtle movement. The leafy pile that rose and fell along with the soft sound of breath, and I was frozen. When I mustered up the will to investigate, I delicately brushed a few leaves aside with my flashlight, fearful of what might lurk inside. As the leaves fell away, the slack-jawed, pallid face of a man emerged, his eyes empty, void of life. While my insides screamed, I kept my metal and uncovered him. Then he laid naked in the alcove. His clothes had been taken, and, while alive, the bits of grey fat protruding from his partially crushed skull solved the mystery of his blank expression. Huge lacerations covered most of his body, deep claw marks that had torn away swathes of flesh in their wake. My hands shook, and from somewhere beyond volition, I found myself squaring his image in the viewfinder. Snap! I'm not sure, even now, why I reacted that way. Don't worry. Help will be here soon, I said as I covered him with my sleep sack. Hang in there. I thought, maybe, that I saw a reply in his eyes if only just a slight sparkle. More likely it was my desperation to believe he wasn't already gone. The ranger's words came back, nature's harbinger of death. Don't realize the kind of hell. And now my mind wandered to the monster before, in the same thought, an image floated forward in its place, an infant king swaddled in black fur. When the image faded, I ran along the trail, snaking through the forest, my heart thudding in my chest. Before long, exhausted from sprinting, I had to stop, my labored panting dominating the soundscape of the otherwise eerily quiet woods. I looked around as an uneasy wave rose in my gut. Poetry no longer defined this place. It was no longer a serene escape from the modern world. It was a slaughterhouse. Paranoia overtook me, and my eye scanned the forest, feeling like at any moment the thing may charge me from the darkness. Then I heard it the scream from afar, jumped, and I knew. He was close. For a brief moment, just as the breathing before, I thought the scream was mine. The disembodied sound of a man coming unhinged alone in the dark. Someone falling prey to the horrors of this preternatural wood. But then, as it happened again, I realized it was coming from a nearby gully. Just keep going. Yuri, he, is running out of time. My mind, at least a part of it, knew I should continue but I now looked down at the camera dangling from my neck as something pulled me toward the gully. He could wait, I thought and veered toward the scream. 
screams. Approaching with caution, I stayed low, finding cover near a wooden embankment. A flickering amber light filled the forest below. I laid there, frozen for a moment, before mustering the courage to peek over. In my hesitation, I heard the chuff and the groan of something large and inhuman. More screams. When the scene below came into view, I trembled as both my fears and hopes were realized. There, standing on two legs, towering over a man and a woman near a small campfire, was the king in black. Steam wafted from his huge frame as he lifted himself from the stream between us. The man, with what courage remained in him, heroically faced down the bear, two orange-tipped cans of bear spray now held in each shaking hand. The woman cursed and fumbled through a camera bag. It's okay, honey, he said. Did you get the picture? We, will be fine. Remember? Brown lay down, black fight back. Then he sprayed the behemoth. Two vaporous streams shot out from the cans, striking the creature in the eyes. I flinched, expecting the bear to turn tail and run in my direction. But as the spray settled, the beast stood motionless, only exhaling as the capsaicin-laced rivulets of spray dripped from his monstrous snout. There was no reaction, only horrific invulnerability. The man's eyes widened, and he threw down his spray cans, turning to run, a fatal mistake. As he turned, the bear opened his gaping map and let out an earth-shaking roar. Snap! I couldn't help it. I should have rushed toward them, joining them in their fight for survival, but a part of me, a terrible part, still had a job to do. As the flash of my camera reflected on the pale faces of the photographers below, they were distracted, looking up in my direction, confused. I was sorry, as the momentary pause proved to quicken their demise. He was on them in a fury, a flash of muscle and fur, then blood and flesh. He let out another guttural howl, and at that moment, I heard the battle cry of a great warrior. It sounded almost human, but the thought left me quickly as I watched the king reap his bounty. Nature's harbinger of death. The sound of slashing claws and muffled screams filled the woods as he cut them down one gruesome piece at a time. For a bit, the man struggled in vain, crawling toward me with an outstretched arm before crumpling under the bear's weight. When he laid motionless the gully fell quiet. Sort of. There was still, of course, the sound of my camera's shutter. Snap. Snap. From within my viewfinder, I watched the giant creature bask in his mess. Steam, now from warm blood rather than water, floated above him in a cloud. He seemed bigger than ever, and I soon realized why. In my possessed excitement, I had closed with the madness. My photographer's instincts, working on autopilot, had brought me only a few feet away from him, and as steam poured from his mouth, I could smell the carrion breath. He stood there, studying me, before standing once again. Eight? No. Ten feet. This is how you die. I braced for the pain. Sure that any second I would be torn limb from limb. The beast's breathing quickened, and then something came over me. A will to live, and even more, a surreal aspiration to succeed in my quest. Snap. 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 For a few seconds, the flashes from my camera were lightning from a storm. Then, 
Sure I had the picture I came for, I fumbled to remove the memory card. It slid into my hand, then into my pocket, and with no idea how to defend myself, I threw the camera. It landed on the muddy ground with a splat. There was no reaction from the king, only fixed eyes somehow darker than the night that surrounded us. As the campfire burned, I could see myself in the camera's lens. The reflection pointed upward at me between the huge claws of the beast. The image of a dead man and a coward. A pathetic loser who had tucked tail from everything he'd ever tried. Who let fear rule his life. And now my eyes re-fixed on the bear. I realized I both envied it and was disgusted by it, and while considering that, the beautiful savagery of the thing, something gave way in me, a peculiar emotion stemming from an ancient place within me. Something awakening. A confidence I had never known possible. I shook as every muscle in my body teemed with power. No longer a man, a beast in my own right. Warm liquid trickled down my leg, not from fear, but from rage. What are you waiting for, you ugly F? Let's go. My vision narrowed to only a sharp and lurid half dollar. I pounded my chest. Ready to what? Ready to wrestle this thing if I have to. Who am I right now? I wondered. The beast reacted. Retracting for a moment before bending down to the soil below him. Will he charge me? I wondered. I'm ready, then. His focus shifted down and his breath fogged the camera lens, erasing my reflection. Then he picked it up. Not in his mouth, like a beast might. But like a man. In his hands. And they were hands now, weren't they? Is that a zipper? I deflated as the head of the demon opened and flipped backward. And there he stood. Now somehow standing smaller, it was the same weathered face from before, the rangers. I recognized it just before the camera hid it away. Snap. Snap. Now, I was the beast. The spectacle blinded by a rapturous onlooker. He stood there, the camera in his hands, snapping photo after photo. The bare pelt, or costume? Bunched around his ankles. The blood-stained ranger's shirt hung off of his body. He looked so small, I thought. Then he started shouting. Bear aware. Bear. Aware. They'll be bear aware or say a prayer. Respect the power of the wild. The mighty bear. Stay aware. It was the ravings of a madman going on and on until finally, cries still echoing in the darkness, he threw the camera back to me and fell silent. The same toothy smile, now stained pink, regarding me as I flipped the camera, again, back toward him. Snap. But as I pulled away from the viewfinder, the king had somehow, in the matter of only seconds, returned. Now he dragged the bodies up the opposite side of the gully, the giant creature still causing my knees to quake even after knowing him to be a farce. Was he a farce? That man must be over 200 pounds. Thrown like a ragdoll. Before long, the king and his bounty were gone. Sparing me by some logic only known to him before disappearing into the woods. And I was awestruck. I stayed there. Overcome with. Something. Something inarticulable. I sat down next to the stream in the dark and the babbling water kept on until the morning when there was little left from the night's procession save for a few brown stains in the soil, 
a cheap Coleman tent, and a smoldering campfire. A while later, I walked back to my car, and, once inside with the windows rolled all the way up, I screamed. And screamed. And screamed. And etched into my mind's eye, he remained. The king in black. When sanity found me, I found myself driving toward the ranger station and showing them the photos. They were skeptical but looked thoughtfully and listened. Soon, after they involved the police, they recovered the, now dead, man in the alcove, and after that, they caught him. Daniel Richter. No king, only a man. It turns out he had walked into the ranger station a decade before, covered in blood, claiming his family was murdered by a black bear. Insistent that the park wasn't doing enough about bear awareness. He regaled the police with the tale of an aberrant bear that could read his thoughts. He claims that it tracked him and his family in the woods for days, but he could never escape him. The rangers kept the story quiet after finding no evidence of a bear attack at the scene. They only told authorities, who found the account so nonsensical that he, by some miracle, or perhaps not, was found not guilty by reason of insanity. He had been serving his time in a nearby mental health institution who was now, coincidentally, working with police to find and recapture one. Daniel Richter. The man in the alcove turned out to be Nathaniel Martin, a venerable ranger, who was attacked and dumped, his uniform taken. So it had been Daniel who had given me fair warning. But why? When they caught Daniel, he was alone in the wilderness. The ranger's uniform was in tatters and he lay weak and lifeless, still spouting nonsense about bear awareness. The thing was nobody could find the bear suit I insisted he wore. Or any evidence that it existed. We looked at my photo, which revealed the blur of black rising upward over his shoulder in the frame, but nobody believed me. They were convinced the king in black was never a bear at all. That Daniel alone had been responsible for the murders and had adopted an M.O. that mimicked a bear attack trying to elude capture. They wagered his family was his first victim. But I had proof, right? What about the pictures of the king himself? They would surely prove that what killed those people was more than a man. Again, nobody believed me. Photoshop, they said. They reviled my story saying I was only trying to heighten the mythos of a killer. Cash in on the growing legend. And, also, as you might expect, the magazines refused the payout. What now? They won't let me speak to Daniel. But I have to know because I can't get him out of my head. Not Daniel, but the king. The image of the king swaddled in black fur. Now, I live and wait along the Kadath Trail. It's been years. I have to do it. I have to know it wasn't only a man in a suit. In fact, I'm quite sure it wasn't. Not a man at all, not when you get right down to it. It was something older. An ancient, unholy inspiration. I believe this because I can feel it. The thing that lurks in the wood. I no longer want to be a wildlife photographer, that dream is dead, like I said. Not because I'm too afraid, but because I want something much, much more. I want to feel the freedom from doubt and cowardice and to know the pure power I have only felt as I beheld him. I want to become something magnificent. I find myself no longer interested in wanting to be famous or successful or to find love and belonging. In fact, at this moment, 
I can't even force myself to eat or shower or dress. I only want one thing. To be wild. To become king. I was 16 years old, male, in Mexico, in a small town in the mountains called Jalpan, visiting family. One night, my cousin, 19 years old, male, and I went to the park in his dad's truck, a small Nissan extended cab that we borrowed with the condition to feed the animals at his dad's farm. Like kids, we didn't go to the farm first, we played basketball until around 10-ish. Afterward, we rode down the mountain about two miles into a clearing where his dad had his farm. As we approached the pen, we heard all the animals crying, and when we looked, they were huddled into a corner of the pen, crying as if there was danger. My cousin told me to grab the 22 liters or rifle from the back seat of the truck. As I did and was in the process of turning around, the brightest light I had ever seen came on, making it look like daylight outside. I could see across the mountain as if it were day. I grew up in some of the poorest and bad neighborhoods around Miami, so I know a helicopter spotlight when I see and hear one. At this point, I was looking up through the windshield to see where it was coming from, but there was no direct point, it looked like it was just on, and there was no noise from a helicopter or any similar vehicle. It was super quiet, and even the animals had stopped crying. The truck turned off at this point, and we were in a bit of a panic because it wouldn't come on. Since it's a manual transmission and we were on an incline, we started putting it in gear and letting it roll to start it. After about the sixth or seventh try, it came on. He hit a U-turn, and we were going up onto the main road. Next thing you know, we were home. Neither of us can remember how we got home or what path we took to get home. There are only two ways to get there, one road takes you through the town, and the other takes you by the river and dam. We can't recall which one we took, and all we remember is making it to the main road off the farm's road. In this small town where the newspaper is printed every two days, he showed me an article two days later, or a day later, where a reporter was questioning local government officials, police, and military personnel about the lights that were hovering over the valley that night. The article ends with no one knowing or admitting to knowing anything about it. This happened two years ago. My, now deceased, boyfriend and I were walking to our primitive campsite for his birthday, and we arrived a bit before sunset. As we were walking, we realized the site was further than we thought, and he decided to run up ahead to see if he could find it before it got dark. While I was walking alone, after quite some time, I started to hear voices, and it sounded like he was talking to other campers. At this point, I saw what looked like big round string lights hanging, similar to those at a campground. I started walking towards them, thinking I would catch up to him and whoever he was talking to soon. It felt like I was walking forever, and then I heard or saw him running back towards me. By this time, it was getting dark, and he told me that he hadn't found it yet and that the trail kept going. I asked if he ran into other people or saw the lights, and he looked at me weirdly, saying there was no one else there, and he didn't see any lights. To this day, if he hadn't come back when he did, 
I feel like I might have been spirited away or taken by whatever I was seeing. I will not be camping at that state park ever again. When I was around 15 to 16 years old, my parents decided to go out for the night. At that time, I had a sister who was 9 or 10. I was enjoying video games late at night, playing Halo 3 on my Xbox 360, offline. It was maybe around 2am when I decided to go to the bathroom to brush my teeth and go to bed. While I was in the bathroom brushing my teeth, I heard the voice of a young toned girl that resembled my sister, saying, Daddy, is that you? I immediately thought it was my sister mistaking me for my father. So, I calmly went to search for my sister, whose room was at the end of the hall. When I opened the door to my sister's room, I discovered it was pitch black. Turning on the lights, I realized, in my sleep-deprived state, that my sister had been staying at my grandparents' house while they were away, and she was not there. Fast forward to the present time, only a week earlier, I am playing video games on my PC with my friends on a private Discord server. While playing and monitoring the chat, I have a second monitor, I hear the same voice, indistinguishable from the one I heard years ago, except it seemed that the person's tone had aged. The same voice that sounded like my little sister, except now I am hundreds of miles from my sister, who is still living to this day, talking to me, saying, hello, my name. I can hear you. I am here, my name, in a subtle tone. What confuses me the most is that while this voice was talking, my friends were as well, but their volume dropped significantly, as if the voice I heard muted them out partially. I did not bring up anything about it to my friends in the chat since they didn't seem to interact with what happened at all, and I didn't want to seem crazy. A few years ago I was living on the Oregon coast with my son and my now ex. It was a particularly stressful time in my life as my relationship was rapidly deteriorating and taking a toll on my mental well-being which resulted in insomnia and nightmares. One night when I was able to get to sleep, I had the most vivid dream that I was a passenger in an unfamiliar car with a driver I didn't recognize. We were on one of the two highways that connect the coast to Portland, Oregon. The two highways look identical at certain locations and I couldn't exactly pinpoint which highway it was, especially since we were hauling ass and the scenery was a blur. It was raining and dark and the roads were pooling with water. When we reached the summit of the mountain we came upon a curve and lost control crashing through the guardrail and I felt myself go weightless as we fell upside down. I woke up in a sweat terrified and shaking. I couldn't get back to sleep. I told my ex about the dream, he listened to the story and just laughed and rolled his eyes. I told my best friend about it as well as writing it down in my journal. Needless to say, I started avoided any trips on those highways for the next couple of weeks. However, the SHTF and I started to look for a place for myself and my son after I had officially broke up with my ex. We had already been sleeping in separate bedrooms for the last two years so it wasn't that much of difference. I had met up with a new friend to go look at rentals in the valley which meant driving one of the highways. It was in the back of my mind, but I survived the trip and told myself it was just a dream after all. 
My son was with my ex at the time back on the coast. About midway through my tour of rentals, my father called and said he had received a strange call from my ex and he was worried about my son. I wanted to get back to the coast immediately, but when I got to my car I had a flat tire so my friend offered to drive me. We started the drive doing the speed limit, but as soon as we were out of town on the highway he stomped on it. At first I didn't even notice until we passed another car like it was standing still. Then it hit me, it was dark, rainy and we were approaching the summit of Highway 30. I looked at the speedometer and we were doing over 100 miles per hour. I told him, please slow down. I had a dream a few weeks ago that I was in a car accident and let's not have this be the night that the dream comes true. It wasn't hardly three minutes after saying that, I had looked at the time on the dash as I said it and had been monitoring the speedometer to ensure he had heeded my warning. He had slowed down to around 90 miles per hour when he came upon the curve at the summit, still way too fast for the road conditions. Sure enough, as we hit the curve the car began to lose control and started to spin sideways. For some reason I felt strangely calm as we careened wildly around and backwards into the ditch. I relaxed and went with the motion and thought whatever happens, happens we ended up sideways against a tree. I had hit my head on the console and was drenched from a big gulp that dumped on me. I unbuckled myself and began kicking the windshield not knowing if the car would catch fire or if I was injured. He crawled out his window and I climbed out behind him. Besides the minor bump on my head we were unscathed miraculously. I was a little angry with him that he had put my life in danger, but grateful we had lived through what could have been fatal. The thing that still gives me chills when I tell this story is that if I hadn't told him about the dream and to slow down, I am sure I wouldn't be here. This is a story that I only recently remembered again in a conversation with my fiancé. When I remembered the story, I was overwhelmed by an uncomfortable feeling, similar to what it was like at that moment. I never fully managed to figure out what really happened then, so I decided to share that story here. My older sister had graduated from med school at the time and my parents decided to organize a celebration for our family and friends on the occasion of that event. The celebration was held at the cottage of our family friends, where we grew up, so I was very familiar with the space. Imagine a large empty clearing, a large square surrounded by houses and fields between them. A narrow road leading to individual houses runs along the perimeter itself, and at that time it was not even fully paved. It was mostly a dirt road. From that main road, which framed the houses in a square, you could go down into the dense forest that surrounded that square. The depth of the forest was great and when you turned off the main road towards the path, you had to walk for a long time to reach the river, which was a few kilometers away. All this was familiar to me because I grew up there and spent a good part of my childhood playing in Does Woods. I was afraid of the forest, but nothing more than normal and I was always careful not to stray from the path so as not to get lost. Back to the story. My parents organized a celebration and invited a large number of people, including my cousin P. She and I were close in age and we got along well. As the number of people became tiring for us, we decided to take a walk, so we could catch up on life, just the two of us. 
We were both about 20 years old then and I led her down the road because I knew the path I wanted us to take, down the perimeter, alongside the forest, next to all the other houses so as not to be alone. Everything was normal until we reached one of the turns for the forest that I mentioned. Somehow we both stopped without saying a word and looked in silence at the path that stretched deep into the forest. Let's go inside I was the first to speak, after some time, even if this is something that is not typical for me. As I mentioned earlier, I was always a little afraid of the forest, especially after I got lost in it once. That was when I was still a child, but they managed to find me quickly after my screams that rang throughout the area. For this reason, I never left the road without my older friend A, who carried a stick with him and his hunting dog May. But now something was different. Let's go in there. It won't hurt us, I said to my cousin and stepped inside. I don't want to, I'm scared, answered my cousin, but I persistently assured her that everything was fine. In the end, she still followed me because I was already 30 steps ahead of her. L, this is not a good idea. Let's go back P tried to convince me once again, but I walked forward as if in a trance. Everything is fine. I repeated to her. After some time, when we were already deep into the force, I finally stopped myself. I could not take a step more. I was paralyzed. It was as if a part of me tried to break away from whatever was pulling me inside. I was overcome with fear, my heart was pounding hard and my breath stopped. It was as if all sounds had stopped. It was daytime, but there was no sign of life, not a bird, not a rabbit, not a butterfly. Only silence and those trees that I had a feeling would stretch out their branches and trap me forever in this forest. P was a few steps behind me I'm going back. I can't do this said P and ran the same way we came. Her voice was trembling and I could feel the panic in it. After another moment, I managed to break away and run after her. We ran without looking back, as if something was chasing us until we reached the entrance of the place from which we entered. A little further towards the cottage, we finally stopped as we finally felt safe. We did not look back out of pure fear. We tried to catch our breath and only then did we talk as we were walking back home, fast and still scared. There was something there, we were sure of that. I wasn't afraid at first when I went inside. In fact, it was as if something was calling me, wanted me to follow it, but my cousin's frightened voice and presence tore me out of the trance. It had called me. I'm afraid to think what would have happened if I was alone, if there wasn't someone to pull me back so I wouldn't go too far. I didn't know where I was going, I just knew when we got to that road that I had to go inside. It scares me and I can't shake the fear that overwhelmed me and my cousin after that event. Any thoughts on what happened here? Why did I go inside and persuade my cousin to follow me? Why did she manage to snap me out of it and why were we both so scared? There was no sound, there was no voice, there was nothing. Just the unspoken words of something that I heard and my cousin didn't. I am from Croatia, so Europe, a bit more Eastern. I'd never been a big fan of camping. Circa 2012, for some reason or another, my friend and I decided to take a Saturday night to camp on private property. We had permission from the owner, on the bank of a small lake in the rural American Southeast. 
The lake wasn't very large, probably only 50 to 150 yards across, not great at estimating distance. It was more of a deep pond, but it was five times as long as it was wide and, from the perspective of our camp, it consumed the majority of our sight line. The plot of land itself wasn't entirely removed from civilization. We were five to ten miles outside of a small suburb of a mid-sized southern city. It definitely was not easy to access, however, and the only way in was a gated, narrow dirt road across a levee which spanned one side of the lake. This road was gated and locked. The owner gave us his code, we pulled the car through and locked the gate behind us. If you've ever been down south, you know how quickly it gets isolated outside of cities. Our cities are small, and the rural people around often live rough and wild. We have dense woods, so thick that they're not worth building in unless you have some connection or attachment to the area. I've heard it was not profitable to cut roads through a lot of it when they were building highways in the 50s, so not much development has happened in the last hundred years, and in some places, since the Civil War. It's not uncommon to go for a 30-minute drive straight out of town and come upon cabins that are obviously off the grid. My friend and I were used to living in the suburbs, so we were just happy to see stars and hear the sounds of nature. We were at our very utilitarian camp, small Coleman two-person tent and a blanket, simply looking around and enjoying the night when suddenly my buddy sat up real straight. He said something like do you see that guy over there? He pointed to the other side of the small lake. I didn't see anything. I sat up slightly and said nah, it's just the dark playing tricks on you. He seemed actually shaken. No, look. There's a bunch of faces behind the trees now. That got my attention, and I sat up fully, rubbing my eyes to try to gain full focus. And then I saw them. Small, round, white faces stared back at me from across the lake. Maybe 15 to 20 of them. All were positioned in such a way that their bodies were behind the trees, and only their heads were visible. The best way I can describe the faces is like very pale, somehow internally illuminated children. I should mention that neither of us were drinking or high. We were too young for that, not for at least a few more years. We had eaten dinner at home and were just planning on going to sleep after chilling out for a while. The faces weren't moving. I was kind of sitting there in shock, thinking that my eyes would adjust, and I would see that they were a reflection, bugs, or owls. Or something. But I would never come to that realization. I stared right back at them for what felt like five minutes, looked back at my friend, and then they were gone. Bodies of water carry sound extremely well and we heard extensive shuffling from the other side of the lake and a couple of small branches snap. It's incredible what your ears pick up on during an otherwise silent night. My buddy was tearing up a little when he said what the hell were those, and I didn't have a good answer. Neither of us slept particularly well. I definitely felt validated in my feelings of disliking camping. But what were we going to do? I tried to do some research on the internet but never found a phenomenon that could explain that. 